Good morning, church. So good to see everybody today. It's good to be back this week. Like Jennifer said, uh, Danny and I and a few other men from the church were at a men's retreat this weekend, and it was so good and so refreshing, but it's always good to come back home and be with your church family. Uh, with both of us being gone, that gave Kent Pickle, our youth pastor, the opportunity to to preach his first sermon in front of a, a, a church congregation, and he did an incredible job, don't you think? Those of y'all who heard that, yeah. <clears throat> I was proud of him. I tell you what, his first sermon was a whole lot better than my first sermon, I can tell you that. I mean, my first sermon wasn't even theologically correct. Uh, it's horrible. I mean, somebody should have jerked me off the platform but anyway, good job, Kent. So it's always good to know that the pulpit's in good hands when you're not going to be here. Well, today we're going to pick back up in our series that we've been in, going through the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. Today we begin the last of the three chapters in Matthew that make up the Sermon on the Mount. And just to, to kind of recap briefly, since it's been a few weeks since we've been here, there are three primary things that Jesus is doing in this sermon. Number one, he's exposing the condition of the hearts of the people who are listening to this. He's been showing them how they don't have an obedience problem, they have a heart problem. And he, of course, is the only remedy to, to fix a wicked heart. And so he's been exposing their need for him. The second thing he's doing is that he is describing how things are about to be a whole lot different. The new covenant that he would inaugurate with God, he's been talking about how it's going to be so much different than the old covenant that they've been living under for the last 1,500 years with God. He doesn't tell the people exactly what it is that he was going to do, but he is talking about how things are going to change because of what he will do. And then the third thing is that he's telling them what what the kingdom looks like, the kingdom that he came uh, to establish on earth, what that looks like, and how members of that kingdom live. In chapter 7, we're going to see that he starts to get a little more detailed in that, because so far he's just given some kind of general statements as to how kingdom people live, but now he's going to get into some, some more specifics. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to just read the first six verses this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand once more in honor of God's Word as we read Matthew 7, verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful to be here again, Lord, with my church family. Lord, grateful to be getting into your word this morning, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us revelation and insight and understanding of your word. Uh, use it to transform us and make us into the people that you called and you saved us to be. Jesus, it's for your glory we pray this in your name. Amen. 
So several times lately and during this series, I've talked about how our identity as Americans and what we usually think it means to be an American doesn't always line up with what it means to be a Christian. Being a part, a member of the kingdom of the United States of America and being a member of the kingdom of God are not necessarily the same thing. And there are some aspects of each that actually contradict one another. And one of the biggest aspects being this whole notion of independence that we've talked about before. Independence has been a big part of what it means to be an American ever since the war that won our independence from Great Britain. And since that victory 240 years ago, we've taken that notion of independence and built a, 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 a whole identity around that. And don't get me wrong, independence is a great thing to have. I love the fact that we are an independent nation, and it is especially great when you have been under the tyrannical, oppressive government like uh, our forefathers were, which is why they, they fought to, to, to be free of that. And that is the kind of independence that they fought for during the Revolutionary War. And so I would bet that the way that people defined independence back then is probably a bit different than the way we have come to define what independence means in the year 2022. I mean, back then, it, it meant being free from an oppressive government. Today, it seems that most people take independence to mean, I can do whatever I choose to do, and nobody can tell me otherwise. We tend to think of it more in terms of the independence of each individual rather than the independence of a nation. And it was that independent attitude that then gave birth to another aspect of what it means to be an American, just this overemphasis on the individual. American culture is far more about the individual than it is any group, family, tribe, or uh, people. And that is a very unique thing compared to cultures in the rest of the world and although we celebrate and hold those two things in high esteem as Americans, independence and individualism, they do not agree with what it means to be a Christian. You cannot live as a member of God's kingdom and as a vital part of his family with an independent, individualistic mentality. You can try but I promise you it's not going to work out very well because that's going to be like serving two masters, which Jesus said you cannot do back in chapter 6. It would be like trying to, to, to live in a marriage while still having the mentality and attitude that you had when you were single. How many of you know that's not ever going to work out very well? Of course not. I mean, when your status changes from single to married, there are some adjustments that have to be made in order to experience the blessings and benefits that come from a healthy marriage adjustments not just in what you do and how you live but also complete adjustments in in how you think it's a change of your whole mindset 
and you will not access those blessings and benefits of a healthy marriage if you continue to live with the mindset that you had when you were single. And so in the same way, you will not experience the blessings and benefits of what it means to be a Christian as a member of the people in the family of God if you're still trying to live life with an independent, individualistic mentality. One of the problems that that creates is in the way that we read and interpret Scripture. If you read the Bible with that kind of American mentality, you're going to read and interpret it wrong every time. And that's exactly what many of us have done for a long time, reading God's Word through an, an independent, individualist lens. We have taken the Word of God and tried to make it a tool to equip me to be a happy individual rather than allowing it to form us into a missional community. And I say all that because the text that we just read has been one of the mis most misinterpreted and misapplied texts in the whole Bible because of that very reason. Many have latched on to Matthew 7-1. Do not judge lest you be judged and kind of made it their theme verse because through that American lens it does seem to actually justify that independent attitude. And so they'll be like, see, nobody can tell me what to do because the Bible says to not judge anyone right there. I even saw a tattoo on someone's arm one time that just had, only God can judge me, right across this part of their upper arm with Matthew 7-1 as a reference below that. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to get a tattoo and you're going to use Scripture to justify some statement that you're making in that tattoo, you better make sure you're interpreting that Scripture right. Because that's going to be there forever and you're going to look very foolish if it doesn't. I'm not against tattoos, but I am against misinterpreted Scripture. So don't ever do that. Only God can judge me is a lie, and it is not what Jesus is saying here. And the truth is, what people really mean when they take that verse and use it like that, what they're really saying is, I don't want to be corrected, I don't want to be held accountable, I just want to be left alone to live however I want to. That is the essence of an independent, individualist mentality, which is the exact opposite of the life that God has saved us to as Christians. Instead of this text being a justification for living as an independent individual, Jesus has actually given us instruction in how to live as a healthy community. Jesus is telling us how to live as we and God rather than just me and God. So let's look a little closer at it and see what he's telling us here. First verse again, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Most people want to stop right there, and so they'll go around saying, the Bible says not to judge anyone. Was that what Jesus is saying? Is he telling us that we are not to ever judge anyone at all? No, he's not. Because if that is what he is saying there, then it would not line up with the rest of the New Testament. I'll show you why in just a minute, but remember, no single verse in the Bible can ever be divorced from the verses around it. In other words, you cannot just pull a verse out of context and build doctrine on that. 
It is theologically illegal to do that. But that's what many have done with Matthew 7, 1. And so let's keep going and look at the other verses. Verse 2, he says, For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. All Jesus is saying that is essentially the same thing that Paul would write in Galatians 6, 7, when he said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. That's the principle that Jesus is alluding to in verse 2, saying the way that you judge others is more than likely going to be the way that others judge you. So be careful about that. I mean, just a few verses down in verse 12, he says, treat people the way you would want them to treat you. How we treat people can, can be many different things that, that would include that, including how we judge them. And so Jesus is saying, judge others the way that you would want others to judge you. Once we know the whole context, we can see that he's not saying that we shouldn't judge anyone at all, but that we need to be careful in how we judge others. And then he explains that further in the next verses. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, with an insecure, independent attitude, we could easily take this to mean we should not be pointing out the specks in anyone's eye at all. But that's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, we would not be loving our brothers and sisters if we never did that at all. I mean, think about what it's like to have a speck of something in your eye. How many of you have ever experienced that? In the natural, I'm talking about. Probably all of us. Not fun, is it? I hate that. I mean, if, if I made a list of all the things I would m most not want to happen in life, getting something caught in my eye would be near the top of that list. It hurts. You can't see good. It throws your depth perception off because you've got to hold down your eyelid and then try to keep your eyeball from moving at all. Just try to keep it still and then you're trying to get it and you can't see it and it drives you crazy. And if you're driving in a car, that makes it especially dangerous. You can't, it's hard to get where you're going when that happens and you could actually get in a wreck and end up killing someone. All because of one little tiny speck of something in your eye. Crazy how something so tiny can affect so much and sometimes end up causing so much damage. Well, that's why Jesus probably used that as an analogy because that's exactly what sin does in our life. Something so small that we think is really not that big deal at all can end up causing so much damage. It keeps us from seeing the truth and getting to where God is leading us. Sometimes that speck can be so small that we're not even aware of it. How many of you know that we all have blind spots in our lives? Things that, that we can't see? Do you know that's by God's design? It is. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But we do. 
We all have things in our life that we're, we're not always aware of. Things where, where Satan, the enemy of this world, comes and attacks us. And he does it in these subtle ways, in ways that we're not even aware of it. And so how are we going to know if there's something in our blind spot, if there's an attack that we're not aware of? Somebody else is going to have to tell us. Somebody's going to have to point that out. If you saw someone in that situation and the enemy's been attacking them, it would not be loving for you to just ignore that and let them continue on in that condition. And so that's why Jesus is not saying don't ever judge anyone or don't ever point out a speck of sin that you see in someone's eye. Like I said, if that is what he's saying, then it doesn't line up with the rest of the New Testament. Here's some examples of what I'm talking about. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Admonish the unruly. The word for unruly in the original Greek there means out of order. And so if you see someone and something in their life is out of order of God's design, you lovingly and gently point that out and help them get things back in order. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. If you're going to reprove and rebuke someone, do you not first have to judge the situation? Of course you do. And what are you reproving and rebuking? The sin that is crept into their life. In Galatians 6.1, Paul writes, Brethren, if anyone is caught at any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Amen. I mean, that goes right along with what Jesus said. You better mind the log in your own eye first before you start pointing out specks in somebody else. In the church in Corinth, there was something going on where there was a member of the church there that was involved in sexual sin, and he was confronted about it, and he refused to repent, refused to change. And so Paul said in chapter 5, I have decided to turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul may be saved. And so what that meant was they were removing him from the church. Paul was passing judgment on a situation and on a person within that church. And so if Jesus is saying, don't ever judge anyone, then Paul would not be doing the right thing, but he was doing the right thing because that's not what Jesus is saying. And then finally, James 5, 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. Now, why would anyone stray from the truth? Because they're not seeing clearly. They've been deceived. There's something going on. They've got something in their eye. If any of you strays from the truth and one turns him back, how are you going to turn somebody back? Well, first you've got to point out what's going on. If anyone does this and he says, let them know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's interesting that he uses that phrase, covers a multitude of sins, because we've heard that somewhere before. 
It's in Peter's first letter when he wrote, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And so for James to use that same phrase, he is saying that one of the most loving things we can do for someone is point out where they've gone astray and help them get back on track. And so what we see in all these texts is that being a part of a healthy community, family, body of believers includes pointing out the specks and blind spots that we see in each other's lives and gently and lovingly helping them remove them. And so in Matthew 7, Jesus isn't saying, don't do that. He's saying, be careful about how you go about it when you do. He's saying, don't do it in a condemning or a hypocritical way, meaning don't you try to hold somebody accountable if you are not open to accountability in your own life. Saying, if you don't invite others to point out blind spots in your life, don't you dare go pointing them out in someone else's. That would be carrying around a log when you're trying to point out a speck. Now, that does not mean that you have to be completely free of specks in your eye in order to first point them out in someone else's. It doesn't mean that you can't be struggling with anything if you're going to help someone overcome something that they're struggling with. And it can't mean that because that's never going to be the case. We're always going to have a speck of something in our eye in this world. We're all going to be struggling with something. We're all going to have something in our blind spot. So here's an example of how that would work. Let's say that you notice a brother or sister who just seems to always be criticizing and, and condemning people. Just, you know the one. It's like if they're, all, if they're talking about someone, it's always in a negative way, talking about the bad things they do and, and putting them down. And let's say that that's something that uh, you struggle with too. That doesn't mean that you can't come alongside them and help them overcome that struggle. A healthy way to approach it would be to say something like, hey, I've noticed that you really criticize people a lot. I'm not condemning you because to tell you the truth, I have that problem too. And I know that that is not God's best for us. And I know that I wouldn't want people talking to me about me like that and you wouldn't either. So how about we help each other in that? Let's hold each other accountable in this and help each other find a way to bless people and, and build them up rather than tearing them down. Let, let's do this together. That's how you would handle that in a healthy way. Now, let me say this, because this is something that we all have got to understand and be on the same page about. Speck inspector is not a ministry in the church. It is not a spiritual gift. It would be wrong for anyone to make it their mission to go around looking for specks to point out in people's lives, thinking that they're doing a service to God. This is the kind of thing that only happens as you are doing life with someone and things just come up along the way. And that right there is the key to doing this in a healthy way. The only way that any of this works effectively in a way that honors God is if it happens within the context of real community. Now, I'll talk about community a lot. What does that actually mean? 
a community in my mind, whenever I say it, I'm thinking about a group of people who genuinely care for one another, who don't have to wear masks or pretend to be something else because they know each other. They know that they're not going to be looked at or condemned. They know each other, yet still love one another. They hold each other accountable. They want God's best for each other. That, that, that's what it means to live in community with, with one another. And so in order for us to be able to look out for one another like this, it can only happen effectively and be received positively if that kind of relationship has already been established. If you start pointing out the blind spots to someone that you don't know very well, it's not going to go good at all. Even if you think you're doing it in love, they're not going to receive it well. You know, one of the reasons that so many people balk at this is because it has been abused within the church for a long time. And I believe the reason for a lot of that abuse is because we live in such an individualistic culture we're not good at building that kind of community and those kind of relationships. And so if any of this is done where community has not been developed, it is always going to come across as condemning and hypocritical. It's always going to be abused outside of that kind of environment. It's only works in relationships where trust has been built. And so that is why it is so important for us to try to pursue that, that building that kind of community and establishing those kind of relationships with one another. See, there are people in my life who know that they have my full permission to point out anything in my life that they see is, is wrong, is off, is not God's best. And the reason why I give them that permission is because I trust them. Trust is crucial for us to be able to look out for each other like this. And trust doesn't just happen overnight. It's built over a period of time through a deep relationship. You see, I trust that if they're pointing out a speck in my eye, they're not doing that to condemn me or criticize me or shame me or make me feel bad in any way, but they're doing it because they genuinely love me and want God's best for me. That's what I trust in them. Looking out for each other this way doesn't happen with strangers, it doesn't happen with acquaintances, and it doesn't happen just with people that you only go to church with once a week. It happens among people who truly know yet still love one another. But because we do live in such an individualistic culture, many of us are just content to be part of the church crowd. Just show up and be a number in the congregation, out in the pews, and nothing more than that. But what we see here is that one of the downfalls of settling for that, instead of just being a vital part of the family, is that we're missing out on, on something that God has for us. You know, I, I do talk a lot about community here, and I, when I do, it's usually all the benefits of it. I haven't talked much about what can happen when you don't have that. Well, we see that right here. Without that kind of relationship, without that community, we're just living blind. We don't have anyone in our lives pointing out those blind spots and those sneaky attacks that we're not 
aware of, and at the same time, we're not being used, as James says, to save someone's soul from death by helping them get back on track. And so it's no wonder why so many Christians in the United States today are living lives that don't look much different than the rest of the world. I mean, with this no-one-can-judge-me attitude, they're living blind with absolutely no accountability at all. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is that you welcome accountability in your life. You welcome someone pointing out the areas where you have gone astray. And so one of the biggest signs of immaturity is refusing to be held accountable. An immature Christian, when someone points out something in their life like this, will always get angry and defensive about it. And that brings us to the last thing that Jesus said in this text. Verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces, and turn and tear you to pieces. If you are truly looking out for someone because you love them and pointing out their blind spots gently because you truly want God's best for them, but they don't ever receive that and they're always getting mad and defensive about it or they don't ever want to do anything to change it, that would be an example of what Jesus is talking about here. If you are trying to invest in someone, but they constantly refuse accountability and express no desire whatsoever in growing in, in spiritual maturity, and they don't have a teachable bone in their body, then Jesus is saying, don't waste your time on them. Go and invest in someone who will receive that and who needs someone like you in their life. And so once again, in chapter 7, Jesus is describing how those who belong to his kingdom live. Well, in this case, he's really describing what they don't do. They don't judge in a condemning and hypocritical way. And so if this is what they don't do, then what can we deduce from that to know what, what they do? Well, we know now that kingdom people, they know one another. They do what they can to get to know one another. They look out for each other. They pursue relationships with one another in a deeper way than just on a superficial level. Their love for one another compels them to confront each other with hard truth if they have to. They don't rejoice in the suffering and the struggles of others or criticize them or gossip about it. They bless and they build one another up. They don't put down. They help up. And they welcome accountability in their life because they trust one another. And that's why I said it's part of God's design for us to have blind spots in our lives. The reason why is because it forces us into those kind of relationships. If we want to be aware of those blind spots, we have to approach someone and give them that permission to point those out to us. And so it forces us into those relationships that God God wants for us. So, as a church, what do we do with this? What should our response to God's word today be? Well, I can tell you what it should not be. <laughs> Nobody better be thinking, hmm, I need to make more of an effort to point out blind spots in people's lives. 
No, our response should be, I need to do everything I can and play my part in developing that kind of community here. I need to start pursuing deeper relationships within this family. We need to invite those we trust to speak into our lives, to point out things that we don't see. We need to quit settling for just being a part of the crowd and start doing whatever it takes to be a vital part of the family. So how do we do that? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. That doesn't happen in Sunday morning worship service. This is not designed to be the environment for that. It happens in settings and environments outside of this. And so I would encourage you, one simple thing you can do, just one night a week, invite someone over to your home for dinner. You know, that, that's, that's starting to be a less common thing these days. That used to be just a common practice, but now it's becoming the exception rather than the rule. Invite somebody over. You're going to eat anyway, right? Invite somebody to join you. Get to know them. Get involved in a group smaller than what exists here on Sunday mornings, either Sunday school, Wednesday night, or, or one of our life groups. I mean, those are specifically designed to build those kind of relationships there. And then I'll close with this. I quoted Psalm 133 a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to do it again because this verse just keeps resonating. And you ever had it where it just seems like a verse just keeps rattling around in your head for, for several weeks? This has been the case with Psalm 133.1 that says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity together. Good and pleasant are things that we are always trying to achieve in life. We want that. We want those good and pleasant kind of experiences. And many of us have bought into the lie that says we can find those things best on our own. But because God designed us, he knows best where we can find good and pleasant. And he says those things are found in their fullest when we dwell together in unity. Not as independent individuals, but as a family totally dependent on Jesus and on one another. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is at times just a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around because of the culture that we have been saturated in for so long. We have made life just about us more than anything else but Lord I pray that if, if this is important to you if living in these kind of relationships with one another is important to you Lord I pray that it would become important to us I pray that we would have the humility to invite people to speak into our lives to point out things that we can't see I pray that we would have the boldness to be able to speak into someone else's life that has given us that permission and not hold back for fear of 
They're not going to like us or they're going to be offended or anything like that, God. But I pray that our love for, for one another would compel us to live this way with each other. For this is healthy. We want to be a healthy family. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm just saying, submitting our, ourselves to you and saying, Lord, let that, let that happen here. Lord, I pray that we would be able to arrange and prioritize things in our lives where the busyness of this culture that prevents us from pursuing these kind of relationships, Lord, that that won't be the case anymore because we have rearranged our priorities. We have placed the importance on things that are important to you above things that we had above it before. And so, Lord, I pray that that happens here. So, Lord, just continue to show us how to do that. Keep us forever humble before you, humble with each other. Lord, completely dependent on you and on one another. Lord, I believe we will see great things happen because of that. So, Lord, let it be according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise to